I arrived in New York City on May 4th, and Cindy and I started this brand new journey with U Times Square Church, and what a journey it's been since May 4th. We've spent the last five months with the amazing staff here at Times Square Church and can't wait for the day to open up the doors that we can spend that time with you. Our leaders are moving at a pace, really, of peace before we open up the doors. We want to make sure our children and our seniors are safe. As we, And thank you for your patience as we're navigating waters that have never been navigated before. Church doors are shut all over New York City, and we are waiting and believing for God's wisdom um, in the right timing of doing this. That's why we always encourage you every month to look for an update of what's, of what's happening and where we're moving towards. And so thank you for understanding. You know, when we first moved up here, um, I was, I was, my family was in Louisiana and the Conlins so generously invited me over their house for dinner because I was by myself. Let me just say this. Pastor Carter and Teresa can preach. Pastor Carter and Teresa can pray. And I have to tell you, Pastor Carter and Teresa can cook. It's pretty amazing. They cooked for me that night when I was away from my family. They cooked steak and potatoes and beets. And I love beets. I think, I know it was two helpings. It could have been three helpings. The food and fellowship was amazing. Um, and then it happened. Allow me to be just for a moment, Times Square Church, a little bit indiscreet. The next morning I woke up and there was blood all over my stools. My mind went crazy at that point. How, how, how could this happen? And then, and then a multitude of thoughts grabbed hold of me at that point. <laughs> this is, this is what I actually thought. It was a good run here in New York. I've done a lot in two weeks. It was a great run at Times Square Church. And then I kept going through, how long do I have to live? What about my children? Will Cindy um, have enough money to survive? What, will they need to move? What will my last sermon be? Um, I, I went all the way to, who is she going to marry? And will she change even her last name? And then my doctor told me as I was preparing for my final days, he asked me this question, you ate beets, didn't you? And I said, yes, I did, a lot of them. And he said, do you understand that about 10% of the population um, and you being part of the 10% now get the presence of red beetroot pigments in their stools? It's not blood, it's from the beets. And all I thought was this, how do I go from a great night of food and fellowship with the Conlins to... I'm, I'm, I'm done here at Times Square Church after two weeks. How does that even happen? David tells us how this takes place in Psalm 94. Listen to these words in Psalm 94, 19. David says this, when my anxious thoughts, these are important words, multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. Listen to those words. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, it's, it's David telling us how one crazy thing, situation, moment can multiply into dozens of crazy thoughts that just flood your mind and soul. A.W. Tozer, the great Christian writer, said it like this. He said, 10,000 thoughts a day pass through our minds. They not only reveal what we are, but they try to predict what we will become. You know, when David uses that word anxious, it's another word for disquieting, uneasy, distressed, troubled, tumultuous. Um, one version puts it like this. It says, whenever my busy thoughts 
are out of control, boy, that really puts it into, into, in, in really into line with us. See, as the news bombards us and our minds about the pandemic, new surges that are possibly coming here to the U.S., racial injustices, debates, an election of Supreme Court justice hearings, our thoughts are becoming anxious and we need an answer to face this multiplication of anxious thoughts during the time that we're living in. One thing for sure, call it whatever you want, anxious thoughts are disruptive thoughts. They really are. It disrupted my whole day. It disrupted my first two weeks here at Times Square Church by eating just beets. Think how crazy that actually is. Let me talk to you for just a moment from this verse why multiplication is really harder than addition. That's verse 19. When David says, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me. We, Cindy and I walked each of our children, Christian, Anna, Lauren, and Grace, um, through their addition tables and then also their multiplication tables. Um, addition was so much easier because you could just use your fingers. But once we got to multiplication, it's amazing that the higher we went up, the harder it became. All was good till after we got done with the fives. Then when you get to the sixes, um, it becomes difficult. Sevens make no sense. Eight, difficult. Nine, you get a trick. 10, you get a little bit of relief. And 11, you get some relief. But once you get to the 12s, it gets crazy all over again. And so trying to teach our children through this, I kept thinking to myself, why is multiplication hard? You know why? Because the numbers get larger quicker. Let me say that again. Why is multiplication? Think of what David said. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, why is multiplication hard? The numbers get larger quicker. They jump to through two and three digit numbers. And when I think about anxious thoughts, think how one thought can jump to larger thoughts so fast. I, I've seen it. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it as being born again. I've seen it happen in my mind, in my heart. I've had, I, I, we've thought before, have we committed the unpardonable sin? What about my health? Is this cancer? The spiritual lives and future of my children? What about our finances, our job, our future, tomorrow? Multiplication is always harder than division. Multiplication of thoughts means they start jumping at astronomical rates. It's when one sentence, listen to this now, it's when one sentence is said to you, that turns into a story, a novel, a production, and for some, even a horror show. That's what one sentence can actually do and begin to multiply. I don't know if you know this, but next to the Bible, one of the number one selling Christian book of all times is 500 years old. It's the book written from a prison cell by John Bunyan called Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan, not only gave us Pilgrim's Progress, but John Bunyan um, gave us a life of courage, would, would stand for the gospel, put into prison for between 12 to 15 years, history says. I was reading um, some excerpts from his autobiography of what he said, and at 17, someone witnessed to John Bunyan. He said he started reading the Bible, and then that Psalm 94, 19 came in, a multitude of thoughts started to come. He said as he was reading, he thought... He committed the unpardonable sin. He said he became, began, began to become obsessed with it. And Bunyan, it says, he said, I grew more and more miserable than I had ever been. I mean, listen to this. He said, he was so emotionally distraught. This 
This godly young man, he was so emotionally destroyed, he was unable to even digest any food. In fact, he said this. He said he started, folks, this is multiplication of thoughts and the story, the horror show. He started, he said, envying toads and the grass by the side of the road and even the crows that they had it easier than him. Think think how insane that is. Then it got even worse when I was reading this. This is so crazy of Bunyan's journey. As he was envying nature that they had it better than him, couldn't digest food, he thought, here's the thought, let me go to my pastor. So he, in desperation, he consulted one of, one of the old Puritan preachers and said to him, I'm afraid I've committed the sin against the Holy Ghost. Listen to this. The old Puritan replied, I'm afraid you have. Oh my goodness. It's like, it's like it couldn't even be any worse than that. Your own pastor said you did. And while he was lamenting this hopeless condition, Bunyan said the light broke through. Thank God for the word of God. He said one text, one verse from the gospel of John began to illumine his path. And he said, and all the perplexities of life began to be wiped away. It wiped away his tears, the, the sorrow of the day. In fact, he said it smoothed his pillow for the hour of death. Here was his verse. It was John 6.37. And it says this, he that comes unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Think of those words, in no wise cast out. The comfort, he said, I found in those words, in no wise cast out. The scripture, he said, most sweetly visited my soul. That's going to be an important word, especially when we, when we unpack Psalm 94. Um, this is what Bunyan found. He found three things in John 6, 37. Listen to the words again, John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and him that comes to me. I will in no wise cast out. And, and Bunyan said, this is what I learned. I learned the approachability of Christ, the universality of, of Jesus, and the reliability of Jesus. Think about that. He says, I knew he was universal. I knew he was approachable. And I knew Jesus was reliable. What happened to Bunyan can happen to any one of us. And it does happen. It's the multiplication of thoughts that happens in the mind. How, do, how does it take place? How does, how does that go crazy? How does, when David talks about this, how does it happen to Bunyan? How does it happen um, to any one of us? It can happen after eating beets and it can happen after an email. It can happen when simply a supervisor says, I need to see you tomorrow. And all of a sudden, the multiplication starts just from an email. I'd like to see you in my office tomorrow. Are we downsizing? Did I lose my job? What did I did wrong? I can't sleep. It's all you talk about. It's all you talk about to workers. Do you know why he wants to meet with me? Can I pause for a second to even those that are in any leadership? Because I want you to hear this. I, I really believe that we need to know sometimes, and I think it's important. Information can become power, and to withhold it can become manipulation. I think it's important to understand. When, when I have the opportunity to meet with somebody, I, I don't want them to have a sleepless night. I want, I want them to know why I'm meeting with them. And maybe God can deal with them. Maybe God can speak to them. Maybe if it's, if it is an intense meeting, but there's some people that withhold to almost try to manipulate a situation. I just feel like I just need to say that. And, and I think this is so important because, because every one of us, starting with myself, are so prone to multiplication of thoughts, the anxious thoughts multiplying with inside of us. And, and, and it's happened to every single one of us. One thing is said to you and you write a novel in your mind. You lose control to multiplication. It's amazing how that one thought can run amok. 
It multiplies. Remember, multiplication gets bigger faster. But here's the goal of multiplication that David's talking about. The goal of multiplication is to determine direction. That's really what it is. It wants to build the story. It wants to build the narrative. It wants to build even the horror story. This is what they think. This is what they're saying. This is, And what we're trying to do is multiplication tries to fill in the white spaces that nobody's even saying anything, but your multiplication of anxious thoughts try to fill in what you think everybody is saying. Some people... Some people can't even hear sometimes a sentence without interpreting it as an attack. That's what's crazy. You know, when I, when I was thinking about this this morning. For the last 11 years, I'm so blessed to walk on this journey with the elders of Times Square Church. For the last 11 years, Elder Chooks and the team of elders pray every morning at 6 a.m., every Tuesday through Friday. They're praying for you. They're praying for our services. They're praying for the ministries. They're praying for what all of us are, are facing. They're praying for the leaders on all of our campuses. It's an amazing prayer meeting that I'm so blessed to be part of. And this morning, Pastor Carter Conlon, our overseer here, began to pray over all the leadership. And then he started to pray for me, and I was so blessed. And this is what he was praying. He prayed this powerful prayer this morning. And he says, God, don't let him be natural, but let him walk in the supernatural. God, deepen him as he walks, deepen his walk with you. Here's what's crazy. I, I, I love that man. I love his heart. But you know what I, I realized? There are people that can take a prayer even and turn it crazy. Well, why did he pray that? Why did he pray, uh, let, don't let him be natural, but supernatural? Does he think I'm natural? Does he um, praise that God would deepen me? Does he think I'm not deep? Oh, see, that's what can happen to people. Pastor Carter and I have been friends for decades, and, and I never thought that. But I know there's people that if you pray one thing, they think the negative of it. That if you say one thing, they're thinking it this way. How, how horrible that those thoughts can even take away a prayer that someone wants to pray over you. Sometimes we can't even hear a thing unless someone has to preface it for 20 minutes. I'm not attacking you. You're okay. Everything's going to be fine. How, how, what, what is that? That's Psalm 9419. It's the multiplication of thoughts. So how do we win against this devilish multiplication? This is, this is key for us to understand in this time. David's answer was, here's what he says, Psalm 94, your consolations. Now think about that. That word consolation doesn't really sound good to us in our culture. In fact, it sounds second rate. You know what it's like. Here's the consolation prize because you didn't win the first prize. That's not what it means. According to David in Psalm 94, 19, God's consolation is really the big prize. What does consolation mean? It actually means, it's a Hebrew word for a breathing word. It means to breathe deeply. It means to get your breath again. Actually, it's to get a second wind. That's really what God, God goes in the midst of this multiplication, taking your breath away. God goes, I'm going to breathe new life into you. I'm going to do something where you feel like I, I, I have no more breath. I remember one pastor saying to me that it became so difficult. The multiplication of anxious thoughts became so difficult. He, he worded it like this. He said, I've sighed more than I breathed. I've been there before. What are consolations? What is it that David's speaking about? It's that word that gets me breathing again. It's a word of truth that brings comfort and touches my soul. And, and, and that word soul is important because what he was saying was it goes deeper than a racing mind. It goes to my heart and soul. 
It, it's, it's really so important because it's God attacks the multiplying thoughts inside of us by giving our soul delight. That's what the verse says. It, it's, isn't it interesting that when you want to give everything to somebody, you don't say, I, I, I give you my brains or I give you my lungs. What do we say? I give you my heart and soul. That's what we say. Not what we're thinking. We give you our heart and soul. Why? Because that's who we are. But the story the mind composes is trying to get down to the soul of the heart. See, the attack on the mind is really, get this, a heart attack. Let me say that again. The attack, the multiplication on the mind is really a heart attack. And so the heart needs to be filled. That's what the second part of this verse is. So there's no more room for these thoughts to change the story. When my soul gets satisfied, my thoughts quiet down. When my soul gets full, a full soul stops a racing mind. That's what he wants to do. He wants to delight the soul, fill the soul. The soul means that he goes to the core of the being. See, I think there are three consolations that God clearly provides for us in the scriptures. And especially we need to hear this during a time like this. Think how the minds are racing. Let me, let me give some sentences and watch how your mind races. What if Trump wins? <gasps> what if Biden wins? Oh, <gasps> what if, what, what if the churches close longer? What if I get pulled over by a policeman? What if my university closes down? This is my senior year in high school. What if it goes online? From civil unrest to the political unrest, from pandemic spikes, our mind is, is waiting to multiply the anxious thoughts. When we were told this week, this week, that, that Broadway has now canceled all of its shows till May 30th. Man, not only where does your mind race to, where does my mind race to? I'm going, God, we need wisdom. What are we supposed to do? That Broadway is saying we're not meeting till May 30th. First, we thought we'd, we'd get to this time, we'd get to the middle of summer, then it was going to be Labor Day weekend, then it's January 1st, now it's May 30th. See, anxious thoughts want to jump to hyperbole. They want to create the story, the novel, the horror show. See, the worst thing that could happen to your friends and family is when you speak from your anxious thoughts and not from a delighted soul. It's, it's when the mouth is speaking from the multiplication. This is what I feel. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to go on. And not from the soul that's full. It speaks from multiplication of the anxious thoughts and not from the delighted soul. See, this was even, even what, what was directed of the children of Israel through Moses. He says, when you're getting ready to go into battle, this is, folks, we're in a battle today. We're in a battle all over this country and all over this planet. And one of the things that was told to them when they went into battle, this was battle information. This was battle prereq, battle protocol from Deuteronomy chapter 20. It says, when you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people, look at this, more numerous than you. Because at that moment, as soon as you're going horses, chariots, more people than me, remember, anxious thoughts start multiplying at that point. I see something. I don't know what to do with this. I'm seeing what's happening politically. I'm seeing what's happening racially. I'm seeing what's happening with a pandemic. I'm seeing what's happening in my community. What's happening right here in New York City? And the anxious thoughts start coming. He says, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt is with you. And then he says in verse three, do not be faint hearted. Do not be afraid or panic or tremble before them. 
He's trying to speak to the soul. He's trying to delight the soul. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Now hold on, because this verse eight is powerful. Then the officer shall speak further to the people. Here's battle protocol. Who is the man that is afraid and faint-hearted? Anxious thoughts, multiplying. Let him depart and return to his house. Why? So that he may not make his brother's hearts melt like his heart. Wow. That's incredible. Remember we just said, we, we want to speak from the, the soul that's full, not from the mind that has anxious thoughts. And so many of us speak from up here instead of down here. We're speaking from the anxious thoughts Instead of going, God, I need your consolations to help me through this. That was the protocol to go into battle. He says, you have to understand there is going to be men and that, that are going into this fight and women going into this fight that as their hearts are melting, he says, you got to be very careful. He says, because, because what happens is, he says, anxious thoughts can become infectious. Folks, let's just be honest. Hang out with a worried person. You can catch it. Hang, hang, hang out. You can catch fear. You can catch negativity. You can catch lack of faith. Before you speak from an anxious mind, man, let's look for the consolations of God. And I think there are three consolations. Let me give them to you real quick because I think this is so important. I think God gives us consolation to help us breathe again through God's people. I, I have people tell me that they're Christians, but they don't go to church. They don't believe in the church. I, I think to myself, what are you talking about? Do you understand that there are over 30 verses in the New Testament that you cannot fulfill unless you're connected to the church? You cannot fulfill those verses. See, one of those things that can't happen for uh, for those that are that are not connected to a church is the consolations of God, which are found in the people of God. That's why if we can pause here for a second, that's why I want to just tell you during this time, don't think that me just being in my home on a computer and on a laptop is really is good enough. That's why we want you to get connected and to join a TSC Connect group. I want you to go and visit tsc.nyc forward slash groups and get connected with God's people. Some of those groups um, are meeting um, in person. Some of them are meeting um, by Zoom. Some of them are doing both. But what that does, some, some are even doing watch parties all over the world. But what that does, it gets you connected with God's people. One of those consolations that gives us a second breath, God's people are God's consolations. They can give you a second win. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. This is powerful. He says in one of, one of, one of the most um, raw books of Paul's ministry, 2 Corinthians, he says this, but God who comforts the depressed how did he comfort us? By the coming, and he says, of Titus. I was expecting the Holy Spirit. He goes, we'll come to the Holy Spirit in a second. But by the coming of Titus, that, that was Paul was saying was this, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you. He said, you comforted him, and then he came and comforted us so that I rejoiced even more, he says. Think how incredible that is. What the apostle Paul was telling us was I found that consolation, the second win that when Titus came, what you poured into him, he poured right into us. 
Man, that's so good. You know, um, here's another one for you. They call Ephesians 6, the spiritual warfare chapter. And some stop after the armor of God from the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit and miss the consolation of God's people. This is what it says in verse 21. But that you also may know about my circumstances and how I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything to known to you. And I've sent him to you for this purpose. What is it? So that you may know about us and he may comfort your hearts. He can breathe the second wind into you. He is sent as a consolation. You know, I was having a tough couple days a few weeks ago, and I'll never forget what a blessing it was and how encouraging it was that I got a text from, from our, our music director, Greg Thomas. I just looked down just out of nowhere Man, and I started to read those words and my heart just got full. My heart got comforted. It, was, it, was, it wasn't about church business. It wasn't about anything else, but just an encouragement text. And I'm so grateful when he sent that to me. You know what it did? It gave me a second win for the day. It was a second win. It was like, it was as if Greg Thomas, who you have seen lead us in worship and, and, and play the piano and lead our choir here at TSC, those words was like a consolation to me. It stopped multiplication of thoughts and started to delight my soul. I've seen it happen from pastors from Cincinnati to California. I, I, I from another one that a friend of mine just sent to me. Just he just he, when I was thinking when I heard the Broadway news, he, he just sent to me. He says, "You are the man for this job. Do not be discouraged. God called you for such a time as this." And it breathed life into me. I take those texts sometimes. And I put them in a journal just to remind that God sees me, that God uses his people to come. But not only does God use his people, but God's Holy Spirit is a consolation for us. He's a comfort, not consolation, not second prize, but it is the prize. We know Jesus uses that word comforter in John 14 and 16, which means the one who walks alongside of us. I, I was reading, I was reading um, what Ed, Edward Howell, a, a psychologist said, and I want to even make it bigger because, because I think sometimes these psychologists and psychiatrists are just trying to, are quoting things that God has already told us. He says, you never have to worry alone. He said, in fact, how you face worry and anxiety, the anxious thoughts, he says, when anxiety grabs my mind, it's self-perpetuating. David said that way before Edward said it. Worrisome thoughts produce faster than rabbits. That's true. That's multiplication. That's David. David said that before Edward Hallowell. So one of the most powerful ways to stop the spiral of worry, this is what he said. This is what science is telling us is to disclose my worry to a friend. I wanted to go, it's true, but you're late. <laughs> it's so true, but you're missing. God already said that. I have a friend I can tell. I have the comforter. I have the Holy Spirit. I can tell him I never, listen to this, I never have to worry alone. You never have to worry alone. You have the Holy Spirit. Even when the in the book of Acts, when the church was going through its difficult time, it said the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria, because Acts 8 says that they were in the middle of a persecution. It says, enjoyed peace being built up, going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort, the consolation of the Holy Spirit. And it even continued to increase. I, I have to make a confession to you, and I'm learning this more and more. I don't ask the Holy Spirit to help me enough. I'll ask people, God's people, but I, I need to ask the Holy Spirit more. Help me, Holy Spirit. You're my friend. 
I, I, I look through comfort by every other means and forget the great comforter is in me. I have him in me and I'm looking for everything else to get me through this. Reminds me of the story of Danny Simpson some years ago in Ottawa, Canada. It, this is fantastic. In Ottawa, Canada, a 24-year-old young man went to jail for bank robbery and his gun went to a museum. Okay, stay with me. Danny was arrested for robbing a bank and got $6,000 and was sent to jail for six years. But Danny took one of his grandparents' guns that it had in the attic. It was a 45 caliber Colt semi-automatic, which turned out to be an antique from the Ross Rifle Company in Quebec and made in 1918. The gun was worth $100,000. He had a $100,000 gun and was robbing a bank for $6,000. In other words, Danny already had what he needed. He was trying to get what he already had. Folks, listen to me. The day you got saved, you got what you need. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1. It says, in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. That is so powerful. What he, what he was saying was, was this, the day you become born again, the day that you believe, and you're gonna have an opportunity at the end of this, the Holy Spirit seals you. He comes inside of you. Everybody's trying to get inside of a church. Folks, the Holy Spirit wants to get inside of you today is what he wants to do. And he says he comes on us and it calls, it calls it the pledge of our inheritance. Another word for that is an engagement ring. It's as if God is going, that ring, that I know that, that they belong to me. I am coming back for them to bring them to a, a wedding in heaven they would spend eternity with me to be the bride of Christ. I saw this crazy article that an engagement ring of a couple fell into the sea of the west coast of Sweden. And two years later, after it fell into the, into the sea over there in, in Sweden, two years later, it was returned to its owner. The, the ring was consumed, listen to the story, by a muscle that was caught by a fisherman, Peter Carlson. Carlson returned the ring because the owner, Agneta Wingstead, had her name engraved on the inside and he was able to find her and give it to her. Folks, listen to me. When you become born again, your name, your name is engraved on the heart of God. He will find you when he comes back, which leads me really to the final thing. God's consolations are this. God's people, God's Holy Spirit. But finally, this is what's important. God's rapture of the church, the second coming. This is, this is what happens. This is, we don't talk about this enough. And I'm telling you right now, as we talk about the second coming, people don't connect the rapture and end times with comfort. They just don't. I, I grew up at a time um, that I was afraid of being left behind. Um, I think everybody has story. It, it, rapture never brought comfort to me growing up in the church. I think everybody has a story of coming home and thinking that I get left behind. I had my stories. I remember coming home from school one time. I'm growing up in the church, looking all over the house. My mom wasn't there. No one answered. My dad was gone. 
Um, everybody who I knew in my family that was born again were gone. And people I started to call up, they were gone. And I thought, that's it. Rapture took place. That was in consolation. I thought, I've been left behind. I can't get 666. And what's crazy is this, is that I watched somebody, somebody came over the house that day and I thought, no, you're the last person I want to see because I know you're not saved. I'm going, what do I do at this point? I've been left behind. It never brought comfort to me. But we are living in a time that I think, listen, we are living in a moment in a time as we're watching what's happening, what's taking place, not only around our country, but around the world, that I do think, I'm telling you, I don't, I don't think the rapture and the second coming of Jesus is far away. I really don't think that. When I think of it now, it brings comfort to me. Pastor Tim, how does it bring comfort? Listen to Paul's words. This is what he says. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, 1 Thessalonians 4, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Now, verse 18, here it is. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. What? Rapture, comfort, it's exactly right. Let me just be real clear what the rapture is. It's Jesus coming physically for a second time. The incarnation, which we'll celebrate at Christmas is when Jesus came the first time. The in, the, that was the incarnation. But the coronation, when Christ comes again the second time, it reminds us that this rapture has two important dates. It's a wedding day and a judgment day. Wedding day, that's what we just talked about. That's the, the when the Holy Spirit's in us, he's gonna find us. The wedding day is the born again, dead and living, all are going to heaven's celebration. And you are gonna have that opportunity in just a few moments. It's the final call, it's heaven. The Bible calls that a wedding day for us as born again Christians. But the second day is called the judgment day. That's the day that God makes all wrongs right. That's what that day is. No one gets away, listen to me close, no one gets away with anything on that day. For some, it's going to be a comfort. I used to, I think I thought more of judgment and forgot that I'm, I have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And that's why they weren't a comfort to me. But now I realize since Christ is in me, it's a celebration day. That's why these words become comfort to me. See, every man will be judged for what they've done. From Hitler to Saddam Hussein, Stalin Castro to present, for, to present day Kim Jong-un, from Trump and Biden, Pelosi and the Supreme Court Justice, the Supreme Court of the United States will on that day face the highest court in the universe. God will be the judge. I'm just letting you know, at that day, it is not a Supreme Court. While our nation is fighting who's going to be on the Supreme Court, God goes, when it's all said and done, I make the final call. This, this is every man standing before God on that day. In his book, The Raptured, Tim LaHaye, Dr. Tim LaHaye, vividly imagined what that will look like on the second coming. Listen, he writes these words, when Christ calls his living saints to be with him, millions of people will suddenly vanish from the earth. An unsaved person who happens to be in the company of a believer will know immediately that his friend has vanished. There will be worldwide recognition of this fact, even from one half of a billion people suddenly depart this earth, leaving their earthly belongings behind. Pandemonium, confusion will certainly reign for a time. A million conversations, he writes, will end in mid-sentence. A million phones 
will suddenly go dead. A woman will reach out for a man's hand in the dark and no one will be there. A man will turn to laugh and to slap a colleague on the back and his hand will begin to move through air. A basketball player will make a length of the, of the floor pass to a teammate streaking down the court and there's no one there to receive it. A mother will pull back the covers on a crib, smelling the sweet baby, smell one moment, but suddenly kissing empty space and looking because what has happened? The rapture took place. This is the end times. This is it. And God goes, there can be comfort in that. Why? Why, why is it so full of on the New Testament? Do you know in the 260 chapters of the New Testament, there are 318 references to the second coming of Christ? That means one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament speak about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Let me be even clearer. 23 of the 27 New Testament books refer to the second coming of Jesus Christ. For every prophecy in the Bible concerning Christ's first coming, listen to this, there are eight which look forward to his second coming. And here's the question. Why so many references in the New Testament to the second coming of Jesus Christ? Why? 1 Thessalonians 4.18 answers this. We need comfort. We need a consolation. We need something for our soul. When everything around us is multiplying, when everything around us is beginning to try to seek to take over. God goes, I've got something for your soul. That when you're looking at what's taking place in your city, in your home, in, in, in your country, and on your planet, God goes, your mind starts racing. You don't know what to do. God goes, I gave you those verses. I gave you all those verses, 23 out of 27 New Testament books, one out of every 30 verses to deal with the second coming of Jesus Christ. Why? Because I want you to comfort people with those words. Our consolations, the second part of Psalm 94, 19, come from God's people, God's Holy Spirit, and God's rapture of the church. You notice the first word of all those? It's God, 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 which means you need God for life to work. Or let me put it this way, life doesn't work without God. Life doesn't work. That means this. That means even if the church building is closed, even if you're not hearing a choir sing and sitting here on 51st and Broadway, it doesn't mean that God's not there. That we still are faced with the multiplication of all those crazy thoughts. We're still faced with the multiplication of so many things that are trying to hit us. But I want to challenge you today is I want God to come into your life. I want God to change you from the inside out. Because when you think of God's people, God's Holy Spirit, God's rapture of the church, you have to ask yourself this question. Is God in my life? Do I know today that I would go to heaven? Or let me, let me, that's the most important question I can even ask you today is how do you get to heaven? Think about that question. If life is over, how do you get to heaven? If the rapture takes place, how do you get to heaven? And some some would say, well, I was water baptized or I took communion or I go to church or I'm a good person. All of those are good, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say those words. John 3, 3, listen closely. Jesus says this, unless a man or woman is born again, Jesus's words, he can never see the kingdom of heaven. So everything that we said are good things, but that's not what Christ said. You have to be born again. In fact, Jesus says in John 3, 5, you must be born again. That means you can't make optional what Jesus says is a must. Okay, Pastor Tim, if life doesn't work without God, how do I get in my life? How do I, get, how do I become born again? 
Or what does even that phrase mean? But what Jesus was saying was this. He was just saying, just as you had a first birth, you need a second birth. The first birth physically, you need a second birth spiritually. And the way that we try to simplify it is as simple as ABC. Some people get upset going like, how can you make it that simple? Because the Bible makes it that simple. I don't want to complicate what, what the Bible doesn't make complicated. It's A, admitting that I'm a sinner. It's when I get honest with God and realize that the condition that I have, that we all have, is called sin. It can't be fixed with a promise, a program, a priest, a pastor, or even personally. You can't fix it. We can't, we need help to fix us. I'm broken inside and the diagnosis of sin is sin. Or as one pastor said, we're not mistakers in need of correction. We're sinners in need of a savior. We don't, we need more than a second chance. We need a second birth. And that's the B word, believe. Believe that God sent his son to fix our sinful condition. But I can't fix it myself. If we could fix this ourselves, and God putting his son through the suffering he went through, it would be the ultimate case of child abuse. If I could get myself to heaven by being good, then Jesus would never have had to come. But Jesus' death was Jesus being my sin bearer. He took, he paid the penalty for me. Or the better way to say it is he died the death I was supposed to die. He lived the life I had no way of living and gave me a reward I didn't deserve, forgiveness in heaven. And finally, it's confessing him as Lord. This is a big one. Jesus... God didn't send his son 2,000 years ago to go through the pain and suffering, to die on a cross, simply to get people to sit in a church for an hour or two on Sunday. He didn't, that's, that's religion. His goal was not to get you to church. His goal was to get you to heaven, to be with him forever. That's what his goal was. See, coming to church on Sunday, that's religion. Being born again is a relationship. Christianity is not coming to a, a place. It's coming to a person. And now, according to Romans 10, 9 and 10, that person is in charge. He becomes Lord. That word means the boss. You're in charge now, God. You, Jesus, you have veto rights on my life. You guide me now. I, I believe that today could be that second birthday. You could know that in this world with anxious thoughts coming around, today your soul can get full today. Your soul can be changed today. You can be born again today. And if you go, Pastor Tim, I want to take that step. I want help me. What do I need to do? I want to pray for you right now. I don't care where you are. You could be in a gym. You could be in a car. You could be in your kitchen, in a living room. Your family could be watching. You may be watching all by yourself. If you today are going, Pastor Tim, I need a second birth. I want to be born again today. I want you to pray with me right now. If you're able to, I want you to pray out loud. Maybe you're a dad going, honey, let's pray. Let's get the kids to pray. Let's, let's start this journey. We're not perfect. And I want to just remind you, perfect people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. And if you're here today, if you're listening today, and you want to pray that prayer, I want you to say, I want you to pray it with me. Now, when we say amen, do not turn, turn off because we're going to give you a next step on this journey for you. Pastor David Ham is going to come up and give you a next step. Because when, when you become born again, there's God's people, God's Holy Spirit, God's rapture and God's second coming all are comforting words in a society that builds nothing but anxiousness and multiplication of crazy stories, novels, narratives, and horror stories that God goes, I'm about to give you the best story and the best news. That's why gospel is called good news. Today is going to be the best news. Would you pray this with me? Come on, say these words with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe 
that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.